find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hiya, Hannah. Hi, Ross. You want to start our podcast? Sure, Ross. Hop in. Hey, fellow true seekers, I'm Justin. And I'm Brandy. And together, we'll be your guides on this spine-tingling journey through the unknown. We dive headfirst into the eerie realms of cryptids, from Bigfoot to Loch Ness Monster. And hold on tight, because we'll explore spine-chilling encounters with extraterrestrial beings and UFO sightings that will leave you questioning what's really out there. Beyond the Shadows is not your average paranormal podcast. Our goal is simple, to shed light on the shadows that haunt our world and confront the unexplained with an open mind. And for the skeptics, don't worry, we have something for you too. Our conspiracy theories will challenge your beliefs and make you question everything. So, if you're fascinated by the paranormal, yearn for chilling true crime stories, or crave the adrenaline rush of uncovering conspiracies, join us on this hair-raising adventure as we journey beyond the shadows. Welcome to Getting Down and Wordy. I'm Russell Perkle. And I'm Hannah, and I am also on the podcast. A podcast where we talk about the intersection of popular music and the English language, etymology, culture stuff, grammar, what have you. <laughs> stuff about language. We're getting good at this. We uh, really so are. I, I think uh, we kind of got like we, we a really jiving today because we... Uh, had an in-person meetup of us two podcasters. It's it like where you get to meet your awesome. favorite podcaster, except it was just your favorite <laughs> podcasters getting to meet each other. <laughs> it was really, really awesome. We had so much fun. And yeah. uh, I mean, uh, we had great lunch, and then we went and we saw... Barbie. Barbie the movie. It was awesome, yes. you guys. And uh, Did you like it? Um, I saw it four times in a week. Four times. Oh, People man. kept twisting my arm, and I was like, "Ow, oh, okay." No, you're you're like one of these like scammers who's like, "Oh man, I just need a dollar for gas." Except you're like to each of your friends, you're like, "Oh man, I just need somebody to watch the Barbie movie with." Little do they know you've seen it like every showing that day already. Oh my gosh, I saw it with my aunt uh, the third time, and she said it, my favorite part was just watching you watch it because you were laughing at jokes I know you've laughed at twice before. And the fun <laughs> part is, this is the um, if you're worried about getting bored of the movie, here's a tip. I wasn't at laughing at the same jokes that I was laughing at before. I was looking at the background. Every layer mm. of this movie is awesome. Even <laughs> <laughs> It's like, watch it the first time to get the gist. Watch it the second time for political commentary. Watch it the third time for the lyrics of the songs and the background. And just watch the fourth of it uh, with your grandmother, because it's fun. Sure. I also got the sense that Hannah is not a person who goes to the movies very often. Because you were, <laughs> in many times, you were like speaking to the movie in like a normal volume speaking voice are you serious i didn't even, oh no i didn't even realize the i was barbies doing cannot that. hear you oh no oh gosh that's embarrassing 
<laughs> All right, yeah, don't it, see movies with me, you guys. Yeah, I mean, li- great movie. I, I think it's no no uh, news to anyone at this point. It's super successful. It seems like just about everyone in the mm-hmm. world has seen this movie. Even you know? Ben Shapiro has seen it, and he was very angry about that. Yeah, I mean, I, that's his whole thing. You know, it's like, uh, I, I feel mm-hmm. like just talking about him, we're kind of feeding into oh, his, yeah. like, I hope Joe Biden has viralism, seen it. you know. Uh, I really hope that Joe Biden has seen it because it set a new expectation in me for presidents, which is the president of your country should always lead a dance party at some point. Mm, yeah. I, I, Joe Biden doesn't strike me as a person who watches movies, you know. Mm. It's like, I, I think there's been so much done to like personalize, humanize Joe Biden. You know, with all the memes mm-hmm. and such, you know, the onion used to have this thing where he was like a kind of like a cat, like, I don't know, Cadillac or Chevy guy, you know, just kind of this dude who works on his car or whatever. <laughs> and, and nowadays it's like the the whole like dark Biden thing, you know, where he's some kind of like a Sith wizard type, you know. Oh, but gosh. I, I think he's one of these politicians that's. He he doesn't do the things we do. You know what I mean? I, I wonder when's the last time Joe Biden actually watched a movie. Maybe if they came out with like a radio version. Like you could play <laughs> on like an old time Victor phone. He's probably he's probably watching those uh he's probably watched like eighty for Brady. You know, those like <laughs> kind of like uh uh what would you call it? Like uh octogenarian exploitation movies yeah, or he's probably watching it like oh i remember when i was that young <laughs> mm-hmm. probably a real hallmark uh, <laughs> <aficionado>, you know <laughs> so today yeah, but, on this podcast what are we talking about with that in okay mind? so of course we're generally talking about the the whole barbie cultural i don't know impact whatever uh so Having seen this movie, we decided we want to do it as a topic. And, of course, the kind of go-to song is uh, Barbie Girl by Aqua. Mm-hmm. Um, Which came out in 1997. Yeah. And uh, definitely which, shows it. Which is, that's true. Uh, which is not actually in the movie or on the soundtrack. But, of course, there's like a kind of a, I wouldn't even call it a remake. I would just say they kind of sampled the track uh, in a Nicki Minaj Ice Spice song mm-hmm. you know. yeah yeah and they were generous enough to credit aqua on the writing credits just for the sample but uh uh there's not a whole lot of it on that but it is something that every single person listening to this podcast would recognize on immediately just the first couple bars yeah yeah i i think that's a weird and interesting thing that happens in music more these days where it's like you almost feel like you're hearing a reboot of a song where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you kind of have, I don't know, the same themes or the same kind of melody kind of structure there in some part or whatever. And you kind of get the sense that the uh, song is somehow supposed to be referencing the other, the earlier song, but it's different. You know, so it's not a cover. It's not exactly a remix or something. It's just a whole different thing. Like, the the most famous example there was that um maybe it's Dua Lipa there's mm. that kind of like a uh, new reuse I guess I would say like recycling of the the chorus melody from I'm Blue W D W Die yeah and it's something like uh I'm gonna party every day of my life or something like that oh uh, you know? yeah um 
uh, shoot, it's so absolutely forgettable that I absolutely <laughs> forgot it. Yeah, it's like it's like they're using the memorability of that chorus line in order to uh, make it possible to use the most generic lyrics mm-hmm. you've ever heard in your life, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and still be a memorable song. Um, there, There's also this guy who does... I'm jumping into a rabbit hole here, but... Um, <laughs> I'll pull you out if I need to. <laughs> I was trying to remember that there's a guy who does this kind of thing, and he's, like, moderately popular. He He, he did a kind of a reworking of the uh, rock star song that Chad Kroger, the Nickelback guy did that was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, and he also did like a same thing, but with uh, Kryptonite, the uh, Three Doors Down song. And I don't know his name at all now. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> piggybacking <laughs> off of uh, memorability is a very good um it's a sound financial structure. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's true, right? So it's like you you work on people's familiarity, and it it's a you're right. It it, it works out pretty well. Goes pretty well. But at uh, the time, Jairus Johnson, I think, is the guy. Yeah, Jairus Johnson. Jairus Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time that uh, Barbie Girl came out, absolutely nobody was expecting it to have any kind of staying power whatsoever. Which is very uh, funny to me. Um, these people are like paid uh, sal- like major salaries to predict trends in music. And anytime something uh, like heavily features feminine aspects, people expect it to just be forgotten. And yeah, uh, yeah. it's true. Yeah, I think there's some misogyny kind of uh, skewing the bias there, you mm-hmm. know. I- I guess also there's just some like sense generally. I think in that time, like the '90s, music was supposed to be kind of deep, you know. And this song, at least in the first listens from critics, it was considered to be kind of like vapid and superficial, you know. Yeah, but then they got further into it, and it was about the fall of the Soviet Republic. Was it really? Uh, no, <laughs> it was about a Barbie girl. Could be. <laughs> I mean, it is absolutely laden with sex jokes, and, uh, you know, uh, everybody kind of heralded... This is why I love, like, the movie a lot more than the uh, song, because the movie was a very, very asexual representation of Barbie, which I absolutely loved. This one, everybody was talking about... It makes sense. I mean, she literally does not have genitalia, so... Exactly, (laughs) right? It uh, absolutely makes sense. Um, but every all of the critics were talking about Barbie Girl by Aqua saying, oh, they're giving voice to uh, all of our secret fantasies with Barbie. <laughs> what? Are you serious? Yeah, that's a strange thing. Because I, I think even as a child, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you, all, you always go to your friend's house, houses that have the Barbies, and many of them are naked just from the... Just from the fact that their clothes come off and children are not so orderly, so oftentimes yeah. they're just kind of strolling about. And there's nothing sexy about a Barbie, no. you know, in that sense, you know. It's just because it's harder to put clothes on than it is to take them off. I've had Barbies. Yeah. I've wanted mm-hmm. to change their clothes. I got halfway through and I was like, this sucks. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Barbies just are naked sometimes. It's not anything weird. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> It just says humans are naked sometimes. I mean, it's, it's, 
in some ways it's our natural state, you know, and yet we've exactly. made it just like a highly charged um, experience, you know, it's rated R and so on. You know? Allo culture just doesn't make sense to me sometimes. Yeah, I will give the Barbie movie that. I mean, if this movie had been made in like the, oh, God forbid, the 80s, there would definitely be like a pile of naked Barbies at some point. You know? A hundred percent. The naked Barbie pile part of town, you know. Uh-huh. It's funny because none of them have nipples. <laughs> Hilarious, yeah. Lack of nipples. <laughs> what can be funny? <laughs> yeah. And I-, I think that's definitely a part of our, I don't know, conception of Barbie now that mm-hmm. she's not particularly sexual at all. You know, it's like... um I think things the movie hits on is that Ken is not that exciting or uh, hot of a character. He's kind of a pushover kind of guy. Uh, also, Barbie, as we that said, it can't be overstated. This is a toy for a child. It's not supposed to be sexual. Well, it isn't. And again, that's kind of our idea today. And I would also say, like, you compare it to like the Bratz dolls or the mm. Monster High dolls now, which were so absurdly overly sexualized. Yeah. Way, you know, it's like, it's, I, I think one of our things about Barbie now is we, we see her as a pretty tame and neutral figure as far as sexuality goes because of these extreme representations that also exist for little kids. You know? That is very but, true. That's but, very you know, true. Barbie herself like, was based on a much more, like, sexy and marketed as sexy doll, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and this doll was called Lily. I'm probably mispronouncing, I suppose, in kind of a German style. Maybe it'd be, like, Lily or something like that. L-I-L-Y or L-I-L-I? L-I-L-L-I. Oh, Lily, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Lily, and yeah. Lily, or Lily, whatever. Uh, not that important, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> this was a doll made from a popular kind of comic strip, right? Oh. And, and this was a comic strip for adults. I mean, it wasn't like... I, I had this idea at one point that Barbie was based on some kind of like adult sex doll or something. And, and it's not quite that. But Lily the doll and Lily the comic strip, it was certainly intended to feel kind of sexy. It's almost like kind of a ribald feeling ah you know, it's kind of a like essentially the comic strips here were always kind of like a scandalous flirtatious mm. or somehow kind of hinting at some sexuality what even the, though there's never any like explicit nudity or something like that you know what's like the decade range of the lily uh seems to have been 1950s it, it okay. ended in 1961 okay so uh yeah a time of uh, and this would have been in west germany of course so this would have been like a time of um, chastity? Kind of, sure, okay, it makes sense, I suppose. I mean, I suppose everything before the 60s or so was a time of relative chastity, I guess. Oh, uh, not um, the Weimar Republic. Weimar Republic rocked ass. That's uh, the party zone, huh? Mm-hmm. Good to know. If I ever get a time machine, I'll Sorry, actually probably avoid that place because it sounds really, <laughs> <laughs> really triggering to my social anxiety. <laughs> oh, hardcore, yeah. <laughs> uh, give you an example of one, one famous joke that people always put up from the comic strip. Uh, so a policeman is telling her that her that two-piece swimsuits are banned in the street. So it's like uh, mm-hmm. Lily is walking down the street in a bikini. And Lily responds, oh, and in your opinion? Which part should I take off? 
Ah. Right, implying to make it a one piece should she remove her top. Her, gotcha. Her bottom. Right, that's the joke. So that's um, like the flavor of the Lily doll. Yeah, exactly okay. right. And so as the Barbie movie points out too, you know, it's like before uh, our modern times, like dolls for girls were just babies, you know, some kind of little baby. So mm-hmm. so girls were just... So the, the Lily doll, they didn't even really think of, okay, let's make this as a toy for children. They actually kind of made it as like a novelty uh, just for men to buy in like tobacco shops, newsstands, kind of convenience oh, stores, yeah. something like that. It's like a joke gift. It's a novelty gift. I used to work in a sex yeah. shop, and I got to tell you, it made me really uncomfortable to commoditize body parts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and so the idea was like the young men would buy it uh, for no special reason, just just because it's kind of like hot. You know, it kind of gives you a little bit of a charge to like get this kind of sexy doll. Sure, people um, have like uh, those hula dancers on their dashboards all the time for no reason. Yeah, I think it's exactly that mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know. And so I think what kind of happened was over time, it started to be clear that like this was kind of a an effective doll for children as well. You know, children like to play with a doll that looked like an adult as mm-hmm. well. And so it started to be marketed in that way. And essentially, like many toy companies around the world uh, made dolls that were just basically a copy of the Lily doll, the Build Lily doll, they often say, because Build was the, the place, the city. Mm. Um, and so they actually even would often purchase the molds, you know, the shape oh. to make the doll in that shape and just use the exact same mold. And um this is not exactly the case with Barbie. I don't think it was mm-hmm. such a direct copy that it was the same mold. But um, the co-founder, Ruth Handler, who's, of course, depicted in the movie as well, uh, she bought some Lily dolls in Hamburg on a trip there. And after that, she created the Barbie doll. So it's for sure it's like a direct. Oh, yeah, um, that's, dr- that's direct copy. You know, I mean, it's not like surprising, but it's capitalism. Yeah, but so all that to say, you know, it's like the Barbie song by Barbie Girl by Aqua, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like it it is funny that they're talking about, oh, yeah, I'm a Barbie, so you can have sex with me. The one thing you can't do with a Barbie. Yeah, right. (laughs) They were they were satirizing the culture Mm -hmm. of of Barbie, which is that, okay, we're giving this sex doll that originated as a sex doll to some extent, you know, uh, to little girls to play with. and, Mm -hmm. And that's great. That we're doing that. Yeah. When you put it like that, it sounds creepy. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think there's a kind of like dichotomy or whatever, I guess, not to get too um, snooty, but you know, this, this idea, again, I'm just rehashing everything that's in the movie, but mm-hmm. you know, it's like Barbies are like presidents and scientists and Nobel prize winners, but they're also like this, like, uh, I don't know, very cliche, sex, sexualized woman, you know. Bimbos. Sure, like a bimbo. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, what was your feeling on the music video? Because we watched the movie and then we watched the music video, and I tend to think that they have very, very different feels. I actually kind of thought, I wondered, would there be a movie without this music video? Because I oh. thought, like... So much of the feel of it 
the just kind of the campy character, the of course like big bright pink and uh, mm-hmm. fun colors, the kind of toyish nature of everything. The plastic it really bird felt and plastic like tree. Yeah, it really felt like a precursor to the movie to me it in some. Did it feel extent. like a precursor? But I feel like the themes were incredibly different. Like the <laughs> just like. True. Uh, obviously, there's the sexual nature. There's the fact that, the, like, the Barbie movie, Barbie Land is a, a hugely, like, feminine space. And there's one Barbie to three Kens in this uh, music video. <laughs> so true. I will say that it is, uh, it does appear to be a universal truth that uh, Kens are all dopes. Because uh, <laughs> the, the music video does play up on... Uh, just how silly and dopey they are. And I do find it interesting that that one guy with the extremely 90s hair felt no need to change his hair to look more like a Ken. That's, that speaks to <laughs> incredible <true>. confidence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, most of them, I, I don't think the woman's doing anything particular to be more Barbie-like either. Maybe her wardrobe, that's about it. Yeah. She loses her arm at one point. Uh, that's good. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a pretty, pretty uh, severe change. For and sure. one other thing that was like super, super 90s about this that's just going to make you nostalgic the second you notice it is all the slide transitions. It's mm-hmm. like. <laughs> I, I have this weird like transition mm-hmm. blindness. I really never notice in any movie, yeah. anything, you know. It's because like, we were raised with I have with to be them. told. I, I guess it's true. Yeah, I mean, it's like. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if today, if a movie did it again, would I also just not really notice or would I would it really mm-hmm. stand out? But it's like people always say like Star Wars uses a lot of particular transitions. Yeah, yeah. But this one use them, uses them gratuitously. And once you notice it, it's hard to look at anything else. It I really mean, is. Maybe the problem is like I, I grew up watching Home Improvement, which has mm. such like my, like blow your ass out transitions where they're like, okay, now a little man is going to be building a house in real time. <laughs> he'll, he'll fall off the roof and die. And that's our transition what? to commercial or whatever, you know, it'd be like the craziest stuff, like so distracting. In fact, I think they kind of knew the show kind of wasn't that good. So they were trying to like entertain you, you know, it's like, just watch it for the transitions, please. Oh you my know? goodness. <laughs> um, but a couple of things I will say about it. Uh, one is that just, you know, speaking to the success of the song, like, I think this music video is so good. And I, I think Ooh. one of the key, one of the reasons why this song did so well is the two people who are kind of taking front, like the, the mm-hmm. woman and the, the man without hair. Lene and Renee, I think. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Uh, They're just great actors. Like, I thought Mm -hmm. they were, like, kind of like silent movie actors. They they have very expressive and very, like, pleasing to look at faces and emotiveness. He was incredibly emotive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. His face was not plastic at all. He has a very elastic-y face. Good point, yeah. Mm -hmm. The other thing that really stood out to me is, like, we we talk about sometimes how it's very clear that like generation each I don't know decade or whatever there's like kind of styles of singing almost like accents in and of themselves like little sociolects that Ooh. 
seem to come and go. You know what I mean? It's like you can kind of notice, I think, oftentimes after the fact, like, weird, everybody kind of sounded like that, you know? Like, I was thinking how much the dude sounds like Smash Mouth. He's really <laughs> doing the same voice as the Smash Mouth guy, you know? Hiya, Barbie. Yeah, yeah, which is also kind of the voice the soul coughing guy does and et cetera, mm. et cetera. Yeah. It was a time in the 90s where we were like, we want gruff dudes. <laughs> yeah, we want to, not just gruff, just to sound like you, you're you like getting over a mild cold. Not a yeah. bad cold, just kind of a mild cold. <laughs> it's like when, um, when, what's, when like um, typhoid, a typhus was all the rage. Or typhoid fever. <laughs> yeah, so true. Everybody want to get typhoid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or typhoid Mary was on the cover of Playboy. Yeah, right? <laughs> so uh, we don't just talk about Barbie Girl on this show. We also talk about language. And today mm-hmm. we have a really interesting um, topic that I've been very excited to talk about. Uh, today we are talking about feminine language, what makes uh, language feminine, or more specifically performative femininity, and what are uh, men not allowed to say, because obviously whenever there's uh, femininity, we're talking within the gender binary. Yeah, yeah. And, and there, there's kind of a word for this, genderlect, which was mm-hmm. uh, seems to have been coined by um, Tannen, a, a woman named Tannen, uh, Deborah mm-hmm. Tannen. Uh, but it, in, in ways, gender has been talked about by a few different people. I also found, often found uh, Lakoff to be a very important figure there as well. And mm-hmm. I'm even kind of not so sure which person actually coined it. I also saw like a Wayne Dickerson uh, credited as coining it at one point. Um, but yeah, for me, I kind of had this thought of like, it's very interesting that I can, I could hypothetically talk like a girl in a way that like people would hear me talking and they would assume like I was either trying to sound feminine on purpose or I was gay or something like that there there's of course a lot of words and ways of speaking that men just uh if they want to seem really manly and masculine are just off limits Mm -hmm. to them you know what I mean and then at the same time it's kind of hard to find and point out which exactly those are you know it's like these things that we kind of all know uh below the surface level of consciousness you know it's like we picked Mm -hmm. up these patterns and yet we it's hard for us to if we were to be asked to list it it's hard for us to really list it and here's the nice uh um like segue this like is like a nice transition into my like 19th bulletin point uh the difference between Mm -hmm. effeminate and feminine because Mm -hmm. both of them ostensibly mean the same thing it means like a feminine person um but one of them is almost exclusively used as an insult Mm, um so feminine is ostensibly like a woman uh, effeminate is something that generally means like a girl. Uh, generally, something a little bit, um, you know. Um, I, I I won't get too far into it right now, but there is a different difference between feminine and uh, uh, like a woman and like a girl. It's uh, it's both feminine. It's just that one is more childlike. Uh, mm-hmm. So when we say effeminate, we're usually talking about men talking like women and i just find it extremely interesting that the same sentence that comes out um feminine from me will come out effeminate for you and i think that's largely because uh being seen as a woman is still 
um, very much considered an insult, uh, uh, lesser yeah. than. Uh, you can't be like a woman, you have to be like a girl, because that's gross. Yeah, and in my opinion, well, there's so much to say about it, but one thing I'll say is, like, a lot of this early, and probably still the modern, gender-elect mm-hmm. research, it's so polluted by this kind of, like, uh, gender bias, you know, like, um, the Lakoff, the the kind of seems to be the earliest uh, researcher on this, he he really saw, like, masculine language as the kind of default or the standard Mm -hmm. and feminine language is like a more limited or less perfect form you know right um so this was in like the 70s so like surprisingly not that yeah kind of modern times you know in a in a funny way i did have uh, the opportunity to talk to a couple of people before we did this episode um and one of them uh, was a humble brag. <laughs> humble brag. All right, we get it. You have, I have you a have social friends. life. Sure. I know. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> um, this person is a uh, a girl. It was a girls uh, basketball coach and a girls softball coach, uh, and he coached uh, uh, girls basically. Um, and I asked him what he considered to be um, what he considered to be feminine language. And I was kind of dismayed by the response because he immediately said words like just, um, only, and like. And then he went on to say, when I coach girls, the first thing I teach them is omit those from your vocabulary. So not only is this perceived as feminine to have like this uh, sort of couching language, this sort of minimizing language. Feminine is seen as lesser than, and you must omit it entirely. And that was just something like I found incredibly disappointing um, from somebody that I, you know, who coaches girls. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very complicated. But so for for one thing, I think it's very clear that both men and women use these filler words, discourse markers, connecting words. Really, no. like bias toward one gender or another it's, it's true just the perception it's like when you walk into well, a, a, a college lecture um you know there's that statistic that uh men will uh will consider the conversation uh gender neutral like uh, equally male and equally female when women talk 10 percent of the time and when yeah. women talk 50 percent of the time they perceive it as being overwhelmingly female yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think now we we can start to recognize and there's there's lots of research that shows us that what in the 70s was seen as, you know, gender difference, gender lect uh is now very obviously just power structure differences, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like uh the the person that holds the power versus the person that doesn't have the power. I mean, you can see that with the um, you know, these kind of filler words, as you dis- as you mentioned, because if you're a person with power and authority, there's a lot of differences in your mm-hmm. standing and the message and how you need to uh, say your message. But the main thing is that you don't have to worry so much about being wrong, being misunderstood, being taken the wrong way, trying to get people's attention and agreement. If you're the person at the bottom of the conversation, 
you have to try to kind of pers- be more persuasive to try to um, acknowledge that you may not be right because mm-hmm. it would be rude to to condescend to the person to say that oh you know and they don't know these things right so I think a lot of these things about you know how do women talk are just how does a underclass talk you know it's like you could probably Oof. find the same things in um, if you were to look at a caste system right you could mm. probably find a lot of the same language in the lower socio social classes yeah when i was doing my research initially i thought um that femininity would be defined by or not even defined but uh uh femininity would be identified by the nuance and the more research i did the more i realized that femininity is defined by silence yeah yeah which sucks yeah and because <laughs> I love yeah, talking, and, and it yeah, and I think uh, you know I use a lot of like these filler words. Actually, I just said mm-hmm. like for no reason. Um, so I and I generally I think I have a lot of things in my speaking uh, strategies and and just ten general habits of speaking that are probably identified as like girly, you know, as feminine speech, mm-hmm. you know, and and again. As you said, a lot of it's just context. You know, it's like you you hear a girl say these things. You go, oh yeah, that's how girls talk. Mm-hmm. You know, and you hear a guy say it, and the the um um what is it? Uh, cognitive bias. You know, uh, mm-hmm. confirmation bias doesn't really trigger itself. You know, you you mm-hmm. tend not to notice those same things that when you hear them from a girl, you tend to think, aha, you know, that's that's right. a girl talking there. You know, if you think. I'm not going to see a red car today. You're only going to see red cars. Yeah, yeah. Now, all that being said, there there are some little differences uh, that are statistically there. You know, like if you research mm-hmm. um, people's posts on social media, if you uh, record some phone calls and, you know, basically crunch the numbers, mm. there is some difference. So it, it isn't all made up. No, of you know. course. Because but we're again, uh, I think again we're operating in the gender binary, so there's not a whole exactly. lot of uh and gender is bullshit anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry to like break it to anybody that is that that is news to. But if something varies from culture to culture, it is not a human universality. So uh if something is masculine in American culture and it's not masculine in Korean culture it's not masculine universally. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even even yeah. things that like we really think, and this I'm, I'm this is kind of me talking mm-hmm. now, but uh, things that we re- as opposed to someone else who broke in and took over <laughs> the podcast, but uh, even things that we really think are so essential, like let's say a low pitch of voice versus mm-hmm. a high pitch of voice. Well, if you listen to someone speaking in Russian. Russian just happens to be kind of a more down-pitched voice. Exactly. And you can notice that in the women, too, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, you listen to some uh, dialects or accents in uh, Ireland. I'm trying, I always get Ireland and Scotland mixed up, so I mm-hmm. apologies in advance. I probably said the wrong one. But they definitely have this kind of, like, up-pitched, like, uh, up turned at the end yeah the language itself uh, is so musical it cannot be uh like deep pitched 
Yeah, like I realized whenever I was so the the James Bond guy Pierce Brosnan, he mm-hmm. was in this uh the James Bond weird guy. Jackie Chan movie, The Foreigner, I think. Okay. And he's doing like a very strong uh Irish or Scottish? Jeez, this is killing me. Which one has <laughs> Irish? It's Irish because Irish has the leprechauns and stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm That's Irish. it exactly I'm from right. from the island of Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So this kind of thing, is, it's more breathy, it's more going up. Mm-hmm. And so the same Pierce Brosnan, who we, we're accustomed to hearing with this very, like, uh, masculine, we, we think, low mm-hmm. kind of strong voice, simply because he's doing a Scottish accent. And I don't even know, is he, is he originally Irish. Scottish? Let, Irish, sorry. <laughs> this is like misgendering all over again. Uh, mis- <laughs> misnationalizing. Rob people. is going to be so mad. I know, right? All the leprechauns are going to come beat me up. That's probably <laughs> offensive too. Uh, let me see. So, County Luth, Draganda. <laughs> it's terrible. Ireland. Yeah. Ireland. So he's from there. Right. Okay, so he so knows this is probably Irish closer to the way he would normally speak or the way his family, neighbors, whatever speak. Sure. Yeah. Um, but anyways, ju- that's just like some a weird tangent of of like kind of supporting the idea that even things that we feel like are biological and essential associations to mm. gender are are probably cultural. Most most things are kind of cultural, you know. So with that in mind, yeah, we're going to be focusing today on the feminine aspects of language, not the gender neutral and not the masculine aspects. Right. And uh, to that end, I have found a fantastic resource. So uh, one thing that I learned in college is that the stuff that you find completely useless but very, very interesting, and you wish that somebody would pay to uh, create a study about it, the politicians do. This is something that you'll find in the political. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should try to get them to pay us. Jeez, right? I mean, we're like completely useless and fairly interesting. Come so on, like, do it. So I found ourselves to some politician. <laughs> this was from uh, the Political Research Quarterly. Um, this is by uh, Damon C. Roberts and Stephen M. Uh, Utik. And this is exactly my shit, because they, they put together a dictionary um, that, it's not a very comprehensive dictionary. There's only about 500 or so words. Um, but That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they went through these words and, uh, through extensive study, identified a one to seven feminine to masculine scale. Uh, on these words. And of course, they have, uh, um, you know, whether, what that means politically, whether a Democrat or right. Republican should be using this. I'm only interested in the, in the gender. So, so the idea is that, like, the use of this is, in theory, if you're a politician, you can try to be sure to say the words that make you seem whatever you want to seem like and avoid the ones that don't exactly uh and and not to just like at at a base democrats are more likely to respond positively to more feminine words and republicans are more likely to respond positively to more masculine words which i'm sure isn't very surprising to very many people um but i focused on the statistically significant um feminine words in this dictionary that is the words that rank between 1 and 2.5 on that 1 to 7 scale of femininity to masculinity um there were 10 so essentially like 1 is totally feminine 7 mm-hmm. is totally masculine this is how they yes how the numbers work okay that's cool. exactly how they did it 
Um, so I did. That's just basic math right there. Everybody knows oh, one is very feminine, seven is very masculine. One is the most We've feminine. That. Yeah. One <laughs> is the girliest number that you ever know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Seven, super manly. It uh, is a dude. Talking about these like song recyclings, you know. <laughs> I think we got one on our hand here. Could be a real hit. <laughs> so uh, I found uh, ten sti- uh, like sig- statistically significantly um, feminine words. Uh, these are words uh, like mistress ranks two point one four. Uh huh. Well, yeah, I, I can see how that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, the it's, it's weird though too because it's like. Is that suggesting that women are more likely to say the word mistress? Or is this more like when people hear the word mistress? It evokes they... a more feminine uh, uh, image, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean. Well, do you want like, to know what the most feminine word on this list was? Sure. It ranks uh, 1.8. Uh, the word is heroin. With an E okay, at the end. Okay, makes sense, too. Sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, without the E, pretty masculine. Probably. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so, uh, the interesting thing, mistress is, obviously has a French base. Heroin mm-hmm. also has a very French base. Mm-hmm. Um, the word adorable, uh, that one is uh, Old Latin to French. Um, the word sassy is old french to old english it uh it means uh saucy basically it's an it's a holdover from that i think it's a fun word that doesn't get used enough sassy um french to english beautiful um Mm. this one is uh, a sensitive has a latin root which became old french um the word cherish specifically french the word delicate has a basis in Latin and comes to Old French. Uh, the word kitten has exclusively French um, roots. And the last one, exquisite, want to take a guess? Uh, French? <laughs> Actually, that one's totally Latin. <laughs> ah, you set me up. <laughs> I totally did. Okay, I definitely have a theory for why this is, but uh, you did the research. So I, I won't. No, I'm interested. You, so. I presented the information. What is what conclusion can you draw from that? Okay, so one thing I found in these kind of cliche expectations of what should be masculine, what should be feminine, mm-hmm. is that women are supposed to be more hyper correct in their uh, grammar and word choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, they're just supposed to have like a more uh higher language like uh i even there's this interesting idea that women uh are kind of like the uh, guardians or the people preserving and maintaining the language going forward why are they that it's a mixture of things but a big part of it in people's old old-fashioned opinions was that men go into business men go into politics men go out into the world and so they kind of by nature, they're more fallen, right? So they, mm-hmm. they're associated with criminals and they're doing uh, morally questionable things and they become very uh, twisted in that sense, right? Which mm-hmm. sounds pretty cool. So probably a man wrote that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who, who among us does not want to be described in that way? But uh, women, you know, they're kind of inside the house. They're like kind of like preserved, you know, on oh, yeah. like a bubble. Yeah, you just so, leave like, the house when you leave uh, leave the house. It stays in perfect order somehow the entire time mm-hmm. you're gone. 
Yeah, and so in that way, they're more pure. They're、mm-hmm. they're less corrupted by the world, you know.、Mm-hmm. So, and uh, and so, but the other side of that is like you have this kind of French uh language, French and Latin and European language going way way back versus the Anglo and Germanic language. Well, I mean, in the let's say Middle English and Old English phase, you know, after 1066, the French Latin language was kind of the language of the courts, the language of the、mm-hmm. upper class, the nobles, whatever.、Uh, the Anglo-German was more the low class language. So, if you're a woman, you're expected to be prim and proper, speak very eloquently.、Mm-hmm. Obviously, you would be more inclined to use the、uh, kind of more noble. Language, and again, coming back to like the power dynamic、mm-hmm. side of it, this is also very obviously actually like a what should, what do, let's say the strong, the powerful do, and what do the weak do? Because if you're, if you're in a sub- subjugated class, you know you're kind of very motivated to try to socially climb. You know、mm-hmm. you you want to present yourself in a way. That you seem to be educated, you seem to be uh, uh, civilized, etc., so that you can hopefully move up. This is, of course, kind of the the whole history of、uh, received pronunciation、mm-hmm. in, in England, right? This idea that okay, we're going to learn to speak with like this very、uh, classy sounding dialect, and in doing so, we'll we'll climb. So we'll invent、right? that class. We'll invent that、exactly. dialect just、yeah. to just to lord it over the people, so to speak. So yeah, so I would suspect you know women today. I think that that whole background of it is kind of lost. I don't think that's why they do it today、mm-hmm. exactly, but I think it's come to that state just because this kind of French and Latin、uh, language was once the very official, very courtly, very high class、I、social. I wonder、language. why French got that and German didn't because they had similar political systems. Yeah, I mean, I think just the French relationship to England, right? Because it's like、uh, the Normans essentially conquered England,、mm-hmm. or you know, I, I don't want to speak in such direct language, but the the French were the power structure in England for some time.、Mm. This early history of English, whereas the、and、Germans、so、that never... was okay. That was the court. Yeah,、okay. that, that that's how it seems to be. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. All right now, there are lots of other studies where they look at words that. Uh, women like know more often than men, so they they basically ask a group of people, okay,、mm-hmm. uh, do you know what this word means? And there are some words where a woman knows and men less often do, and vice versa. You know, I am looking that, forward I, to this game because I know a lot of useless stuff. Yeah, and I will say, you know, they kind of found from this study that like women tend to know words related to like flowers, fashion.、Mm-hmm. Uh, cooking, family—these kinds of things. So, kind of like, kind of confirming the stereotypes.、So. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I don't know how to、Weird. feel about that, but it is what it is. You know, again, it's like we exist in a culture with you know strong gender roles, and so you know we we kind of get socialized into these、mm. things, of course. So, not really a big surprise. So, I'm going to ask you the words that they found for women. I want to see: Do you know them or not? Yeah. And then I'll tell you if I knew them or not. I'm.、Excited. I will say. So I looked at the woman list. I looked at the man list. It was definitely true that I knew way more of the man words, okay, than the woman words. Okay, men、so、words and what, women words. <laughs> <laughs> what is a peony? 
A peony is actually my favorite type of flower. Uh, It's a favorite. Oh, I love a peony. (laughs) I don't. I couldn't even picture one. I did not know it was a flower at all before this. Oh man, Uh, we used to have peony bushes uh, um, uh, when I was a kid. Uh, They would have like these big, uh, like globe roses. Uh, Peonies are gorgeous. See, and I'm just like totally zoning out right now. I have no <laughs> idea what you just <laughs> It's like white noise. <laughs> I actually thought it was a place for some reason. Really? I keep trying to figure out what was I confusing it with. Mm-hmm. I really thought there was a place called the Peonies, and I have no idea why I thought that. <laughs> okay, so that's one point for Hannah. I will say, as, as obvious, I did not know that one, so that was not a point for me. Uh, supposedly 96% of women know this word, only 70% of men. Really? Okay. Okay. What is taffeta? T-A-F-F-E-T-A. That is a fabric that I absolutely hate. It is, uh, (laughs) it's coarse. It's, um, oh man, it's sort of gauzy, but you expect gauze to be soft. It looks soft, but it itches like hell. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> Why do you know that? It's so crazy. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I, I know also... that specifically from prom because uh, all of my friends were super excited uh, to show me their dresses and they had taffeta and I felt it and I was like, I hate everything. I don't want to do this. You canceled prom. You're I, like, not going. <laughs> I wanted to, but I got guilted into it. Oh, wow. Well. Mm-hmm. I did not go to prom because I'm a loser. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I would have been better off not going to prom. I got kicked off the dance floor for breaking three glasses with my elbow. Yeah, it just sounds so unappealing. How long is prom? That's like oh a three-hour, four-hour event. God, way too freaking event. long. Good grief. That's the, that's the worst. I would not want to go to mm-hmm. a big crowded room for <laughs> multiple hours. Um, yeah, 80% of women knew taffeta. Only 48% of men knew. Oh. And I was not one of those 48%. <laughs> What are tresses? T-R-E-S-S-E-S. Now, I believe that this is... I've only heard this in uh, relation to, like, hair. Uh, like, long locks of hair. Uh, exactly. But I suppose Just it could also be hair. used as a fabric. It, in, this, in the definition they give here, it's just the hair. Oh, okay, I, I think it does have some other meanings, but I'm not sure what they are, because I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 93% of women knew this one, eight, 61% of men. I think I knew this. I, mm-hmm. I, I definitely know what tresses are. There's a, there's some lyrics and songs where they talk about Oh, yeah, and it's, hair, you never so, hear yeah. it without the context of, like, blonde tresses or brunette tresses, <laughs> and you can probably True. suss that out. True. Not a lot of gray tresses out there, I think, uh, <laughs> in literature. Uh, I, I'm going to say this two ways. Uh, one way is going to be the dumb American pronunciation. One's going to be what I think the real pronunciation is, but I don't actually know. Uh, mascarpone or mascarpone. Mascarpone. Um, it's a type of cream, uh, in baking. Um, I think it's based on a cheese, right? Yeah, it's kind of like a cream cheese, a little Mm -hmm. bit different, but very similar to cream cheese. That one I knew as well. Mm, And finally here. British Bake Off. Very nice. And finally here, bottle brush. Bottle brush. Isn't that the brush that you use to, like, clean baby bottles? Not in the definition they're giving here. Do Ooh. you have any other ideas? Uh, bottle brush. Um, oh, is it uh, a round hairbrush? 
No. Oh. Uh, this is some kind of like a little shrub with flowers. So it's, it's also a oh, flower thing. I did not uh, know that, folks. I didn't know it either. So that's it. It's a fairly short list. So you <laughs> knew four. I knew only two. Of them. Oh, gosh. Oh, I'm only 80% more, female. There were a few more. Uh, yeah, a few more. Sorry. Okay. Uh, flouncy or flouncing. Oh, everybody knows this one. Come on. It's like when you're, you have like a sort of bouncy uh, air about you. Uh, flouncy, flounces. It's also used uh, in fabric. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just like a flouncy kind of fabric. Taffeta, for example, is pretty flouncy. What would that be? It's kind of puffy or something? Puffy, it bounces when you move. Aha, uh-huh, okay. Uh, yeah, I did not know it. Oh. Uh, but a fair amount of people did, I think. So let's see. Uh, 94% of women, 67% of men. Oh. Um, what is decoupage? Decoupage is a type of crafting. I didn't think that this was exclusively female, but it makes sense. Um, I it's had no idea what this like was. like when you use a... Uh, it's sort of like gouache, but no, no. It's not, it's not even a little bit... Like gouache, sorry. Uh, decoupage is like um, a when you paste pictures onto like a uh, onto like a, a paper or something, and and it's a French way of doing it. I've tried it before. My yep. grandmother has some decoupage ornaments for um, Christmas, but I'm garbage at it. <laughs> That's it. All right, eighty percent, eighty six percent of women knew it. Fifty six percent of men mm. knew it. I did not know it. Mm. Uh, taupe or top? I have no idea how it's pronounced. T a u p e. Taupe is, is a color. It's sort of beigey. Okay. Yeah. Great. Some kind of brownish gray color, mm-hmm. maybe tinged with purple, yellow, or green. It was a really broad definition. Yeah. There. Colors. But, everybody acts like there's like these universal paint colors, but everybody has a different definition of teal, different definition of taupe, different definition of umber. Exactly. And see, like, as a colorblind person, I've, I've always oh, secretly right. felt like I'm not actually colorblind. I'm just, like, more comfortable with, like, doubting what color things actually <laughs> are. I, I feel like everyone's <laughs> essentially seeing what I see. But I don't know if that's really true. 93% of women knew taupe, 66% of men. Um, what is wisteria? That's a type of fl- uh, flowering tree, I believe, right? Uh, it has purple yeah, sure. uh, flowers that sort of look like lavender. Very good. I did not know this one either. 89% of men, 61% of women mm-hmm. did. And finally, that's it. So now the score is eight for you, two for me. Oh, awesome. I really beat you. <laughs> Yeah, very nice. <laughs> well, I guess that settles it. It's uh, official. You are the woman of the two of us. Oh, <laughs> I will not. accept my uh, my 70 cents to your dollar. <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> I, and, and, it's, and it's very interesting, too, because, you know, it's like, again, that's what stereotypically uh, is stated. There's words about flowers, words about fashion, mm-hmm. about colors. Yeah, and a little bit stereotypical and kind of, of yeah, that's kind of surprising to me. I mean, I, I have sort of a crafting background, but I definitely don't have a gardening background. It's kind of weird that um, I was more familiar with that. Now, uh, these ones, I found another list, and to me, they seem way more rare. So I'm just really curious uh, if you know any of them, because I feel like I know zero of these. Again, these are words that you. women... I am on an etymology podcast, so I know a lot of words. 
That's、uh, a good point. That's、mm-hmm. a good point. I didn't didn't allow for that. <laughs> so yeah. So so this is a very skewed result, I suppose. <laughs> so we'll see. But these these numbers range from like a fifty percent of women knew it up to like eighty percent. Okay. Right. So these are words that not everybody knows, and yet still some large number do. Uh, peplum, p e p l u m. Ooh, peplum is isn't that a type of purple? I have no idea. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Uh, it looks like to be some kind of a article of clothing.、It、looks to be、oh! some kind of a top. Actually, I was、so、it wrong. Looks like you didn't know it. Uh, I'm gonna say here, buccal, b o u c l e. I'll look these up. Buccal. Um.、Mm, I want to say that's a type of jewelry. No. Uh, seems to be a type of yarn, yarn with a looped or curled ply or fabric woven from this yarn. That is something I'm embarrassed to not have known. <laughs> I'm sorry, boucle. Oh, to well, that totally changes it. Oh, okay, I okay, definitely would have known it. Ruche, R U C H E. Ooh, um, I've seen this before, but I don't know the definition. Is it a type of red? Okay. And we'll keep moving.、Okay. Uh, so it seems to be a frill or pleat of fabric,、oh. de- decoration on home furnishing. Pessary, P E S S A R Y. Pessary. I don't know this one. <laughs> It's a device placed into the vagina to support the uterus or bladder and rectum. Ah,、like、many women know this. I suppose if they've had the operation. I mean, yeah, a lot of women are also have also given birth, so that's probably、uh, more common than I'm allowing. Yeah, again, trying to move pretty fast because there's a few of these.、Uh, doula uh, is as、uh, like a midwife, somebody who assists in childbirth. Yeah, and I knew that one as、mm-hmm. well.、Uh, chignon, I suppose. C H I G N O N. Um. Oh, chignon uh, is uh, like a type of hairstyle. It's a bun. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of putting the hair back、mm-hmm. in a low bun looks like something like that.、Uh, tulle or tulle, T U L L E. Type of fabric, also one that I hate. Wow, cool. You know quite a lot of these too.、Mm-hmm. I'm amazed.、Uh, Freesia, F R E E S I A. A type of flower and a beautiful scent. Dang. You're right about that too. Yeah. Again, I knew zero. So I'm amazed <laughs> you know any.、Uh, verbena.、Um, sounds like a type of flower. I think you're right about that too. This one sounds vaguely. Yep, it's a flower as well.、Uh, chenille. C H E N I L L E. I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure it's a fabric. It's like、what? a chenille lace. Yeah, let's see. A tufted velvety cord or yarn used for trimming furniture, making carpets and clothing. Mm. Mm, I don't know.、Uh, maybe. Yeah, don't give that's, me that that's... one. I was incorrect yeah,、okay. on the type of fabric. <laughs>、uh, voile or voile, voile, v o i l e. I don't know that one. This is also a fabric.、Mm. Looks kind of gauzy.、Uh, bando, b a n d e a o. It's a type of top. It's a type of sock. What top?、Uh, oh, top. Yeah,、okay. it's like a crop top that yeah, doesn't kinda, have sleeves yeah, or, or straps. Pretty much it. Yeah, and of course, you can still see again a lot of these are very, very French words.、Mm-hmm. So once again, interesting correlation there. Coal, but spelled K O H L, K O H L. Oh, we know that one. That's the、um, eyeliner from ancient Egypt. Yeah, I think that must be it. All I'm finding here when I Google it is the department store, so I can't even tell you what it is. But、oh. I think that's definitely <laughs> it. S 
Espadrille. S-E-S-P-A-D-R-I-L-L-E. Espadrille. So you're giving me a time um, to even just spell them out. I don't out. know that one. Espadrille. What's Some that? kind of a shoe. Oh. Uh, whip stitch. W-H-I-P stitch. It's a type of uh, stitch when you are fixing clothes. That's it. Very good. <laughs> well, I'm not saying very good like, <laughs> like you're taking a test. Yay me! Uh, sateen. <laughs> sateen is... S-A-T-E-E-N. Um... Is that, uh, it sounds like a f- type of satin, like a fabric. Yeah, it seems to be. Some kind of glossy fabric. Mm-hmm. Uh, jacquard. J-A-C-Q-U-A-R-D. Ooh, I don't know that one. Some kind of a fabric again. Oh, no. Uh, damask or damask. D-A-M-A-S-K. A type of fabric, one that's patterned. At this point, you could probably just guess type of fabric. Yeah, pretty much. It seems to be correct. I'm actually getting a little <laughs> and, offended. <laughs> yeah, right? Last one here, uh, chambray, chambray, I don't know how Chambray is, oh, is that, is that wine or fabric? Fabric. I'm going to guess it. <laughs> it is fabric. <laughs> Since you admitted to guessing it, I, I'm not going to give you Yeah, you can, you can take points <laughs> away for guessing. All right, Hannah, you passed. I'll print out your certificate of woman Woo! Uh, later today. <laughs> well, you should get it in the mail in two to six weeks. Certified woman. <laughs> so uh, that's amazing. Yeah, and of course, I, I have lists of yeah. men words for these. We'll get to those next week, and we'll see how well I do. I don't think I'll do that well. Jeez, you knew like bunch of those man. i know well i mean so many of them are fabrics and i spend so very much time at joanne's it's true mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh aside from language i also wanted to know if like there's anything else that you can like do to make yourself sound more feminine uh and i was very fortunate to encounter a wikipedia article or a wiki a wiki wiki how how a wiki how so we're going to do a little bit of WikiHow on language, okay? And here to join us are the McElroy. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Okay. No, uh, but this is pertinent, okay? I swear it makes sense. Um, so this is how to be a lady. Uh, number one is educate yourself. A lady is eloquent and can hold a conversation. Follow the news, and if you can, sit in on free university lectures just to improve your vocabulary. It's so fascinating because I think at the same time, like following the news and politics is probably seen to be a unfeminine thing. To yeah, do. it seems like something that everybody should be doing. Which is uh, what you're going to notice with a lot of these is uh, to be <laughs> a lady is all. just to be like a cool person. Like, there's no need to (laughs) involve gender in any of this. Uh, And the alternative, like, if the opposite is uh, male, that's pretty unflattering for your opinion on men. Uh, (laughs) Number two is be respectful. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that comes up, too. Yeah. Don't interrupt or talk over anyone. uh, Because interrupting is very unfeminine. Which is why I do it almost constantly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Number three, be charming. Engage people and compliment them. Smile. I've heard that a lot. Mm. Um, Yeah, there's this inter... I I watched some YouTube videos, like, how to be... How to use feminine language, how to communicate more femininely. One woman said, like, 
think about your first dates when you met your now husband or boyfriend or whatever mm -hmm. and try to again kind of speak more in that way and and again it's kind of the sense of like trying to be a bit more charming a bit more like um trying to please the mm -hmm. person you're speaking to you know and it's also pretty sad <laughs> it is pretty about. sad but i think thinking about the opposite as male is even sadder like to be more masculine you have to be uncharming unrespectful yeah true talk over yeah, true. people just yeah, generally talk to people like you don't like them. Yeah, don't compliment them, like them. Just frown. Which, which is uh, maybe is actually pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Number four is have good posture. I don't know why uh -huh. this is involved in the the language aspect, but if you speak with good posture, you sound more <laughs> like a lady. Apparently, true. That's not exactly linguistics. I don't see a lot of. <laughs> linguistic research on ergonomics <laughs> this one i thought was very interesting uh say please and thank you with detail and always but not excessively so you should <laughs> it's it's <laughs> so you should always be sure to tell them why yes <laughs> you're please saying please yeah but don't do it excessively because that's weird uh, do so it in a way. Don't give excessive detail, or no, give okay. excessive detail. Like when you write a thank you <laughs> okay. note, say thank you so much for the pink blender that you gave to me on my uh, bachelorette party. I really appreciated <laughs> yeah. it and used it to make a it, smoothie. It was a Tuesday. The temperature was fifty six <laughs> degrees. Uh, it was raining. Uh, I had just uh, finished a sandwich, and uh, the blender came in a box that was exactly 12 inches across and mm -hmm. 18 inches wide and uh, I guess it was sideways actually <laughs> <laughs> I love that one I, I just generally love that for people I, I think uh, this this could also just possibly be an article on how to be an android <laughs> like these are like, <laughs> probably the steps that like data like Brenner or whatever his name is to, uh, yeah. Spiner what's his name uh, Brett Spiner yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Sure. It, don't you think like now thinking about it don't these just seem like robot like these are like c-3po or something to how to be a pleasing human yes it's like you've got the posture thing you've got like the super uh correct and polite language thing mm -hmm. it's just generally like robot butler you know etiquette yeah you know? actually number 10 is make introductions so oh, <laughs> i thought you're were, you're were gonna say like actually number 10 is uh charge your battery and uh get <laughs> oil in your joints <laughs> every day it's very rude to squeak <laughs> <laughs> so true <laughs> so that's why people like mice so much you know they're just so rude with their squeaking i know and they're so feminine <laughs> mice are a very feminine animal <laughs> I've always said that. <laughs> uh, but women, in order to be ladylike, are expected to be the ones that make introductions in the conversation. So the very specific advice is introduce everybody in the conversation to each other with details. <laughs> <laughs> That's a party game right there. I love that. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. I would hate to be a woman. That's that's what a nightmare. You got to remember people's names. I know it's the worst part about being details. a woman. Oh, all of <laughs> these things I have to remember Hands about down. people. <laughs> Their names, yeah. how many kids they have, where they oh, yeah. work. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes I have trouble 
remembering that stuff about myself when I'm really put on the spot <laughs> in conversation, you know, because you really got to think fast. You're like, do I have kids? Nope. I don't think so. No, nope, I don't. <laughs> you know, or like people ask you your age. I, I think that's the, well, they don't do that in polite conversation, but mm. I do sometimes find like it's hard to remember sometimes. Wait, how old am I this year? You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's not something that you're generally thinking about and uh, having to be the one to make uh, conversations. Oh. Okay, so we have a ton of stuff to cover here, really. I think it is really worth getting into. So I, I think we need to dive a lot more deeply into, okay, what is the characteristics of feminine language? Uh, so 10 features from this, like, Lake-Off study in 1975. Again, somewhat, I think a lot of these you have to take with a grain of salt these days because I just think it's one of these cases where it probably is based on research, but it's research that was very biased mm-hmm. and probably uh, could be said to be not so objective. All right, so, of course, hedges, as, as uh, your friend said earlier, so things like sort of, kind of, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, polite forms, so this is including indirect language, like rather than saying, get me a soda, you might say, would you please get me a soda? I'd really appreciate it. Things say like please and thank you. That's number six. Yeah, and it's funny, too. There's also a lot of overlap between, mm-hmm. like, uh, feminine language and just what would be called business English, right? Mm-hmm. Like email language. You know, it's like if you're trying to communicate in an email, oftentimes you're also expected to be mm-hmm. using a lot of indirect question forms, requesting forms, stuff like that. Tag questions. So rather than saying, uh, do you think that was a good movie? You might say, that was a very good movie, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, Speaking, they say here speaking in italics, but what they mean is like using emphatic language and intonation. So you might say, uh, that was so incredible, things like this, (laughs) you know, which uh, tends to be more associated with women and men. And this one did kind of bear out in later statistical research. Yeah, it felt kind of weird saying, hearing you say so. Yeah. Exactly. And you can see it in like social media post type things today that... If you see a so with more than one O, this is basically 100% or 99% a woman posting it, mm-hmm. right? It's very unlikely to see this in a, in a masculine post. Mm-hmm. Uh, empty adjectives. So these are things like charming, sweet, adorable, etc. Like we, we see in a lot of the research that men are more likely to describe things as like good or great mm-hmm. or at best, awesome, something like that. Women have this whole range of words they can say to describe a thing, you know? So what uh, makes them like, empty adjectives? I, this is a funny thing, right? But I, I think the what they're trying to get at here, uh, I, I think there's a little bit of a judginess to saying that, but I think what they were what they perceive it as is like the the sweet or charming thing isn't necessarily like being described specifically sweet or charming it's just something good or something like that which i think this is not quite right okay i wouldn't call these empty myself we could bring this back to the paint colors because again um this is in language and masculine language you've only got the eight colors and all of these different flavors of red are still red they're just different flavors of red (laughs) so they're not like empty adjectives they're just more descriptive more apt. They, they are. They're more descriptive generally. Yeah, and this is something, this is probably if you compare 
masculine and feminine language, this is the thing that really is very interesting in terms of like the the kind of like cage or restriction mm-hmm. on masculine languages that like we tend not to describe things in very descriptive ways unless we're like writing a book mm-hmm. or something. And I don't know why. You know, I feel it actually. You know, it's like um we were trying to write the opener and I had this opener about trying not to say fabulous, you know, because mm-hmm. this is not a word that men can say, you know. Which um, that seems so limiting. Yeah, yeah, it is. And we all kind of feel this. It's hard to say why is that exactly. I, I think it's like maybe it's a bit too emotional, right? So it's like uh, yeah. you seem to be emotional, which just is more of a feminine quality stereotypically. I don't know. Okay. Uh, of course, hypercorrect grammar and pronunciation, which we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, lack of a sense of humor. Women cannot tell jokes. <laughs> Right? Women do not have any sense of humor. And again, this is this 1975, like, Lake Off findings. All right. Fuck you, Lake Off. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. It's, you know, it's very bewildering in 2023 to figure out, like, where did this come from at all? But, of course, obviously, we all at our age still remember this time where mm-hmm. it was very strange to see a woman comedian. We We kind of thought they were masculine mm-hmm. for doing that is very inappropriate you know i guess the marvelous miss mazel is all about that oh right? yeah and yeah and I, even into the 90s i remember like being like the first time i saw a a woman stand-up comedian i think i was like eight years old and it was ellen degeneres like uh it was mind-blowing to me like that could be a possibility for anybody like a woman to be uh, a stand-up comedian i was like isn't that something that only guys are allowed to do yeah yeah and that was like a real question i think for a lot of people they're like are women just not funny in the or they have different humor or something like that today mm-hmm. i think you could still say there are some differences in Women comedy sometimes, but there's difference in different male comedians too. I, I think mm-hmm. today we can we can say with fair confidence that of course women are funny and even their comedy is not actually different. It's like I think there are a lot of social pressures on what they were not supposed to say mm-hmm. and these kinds of things, how they're expected to talk. I mean, obviously today, like some of the funniest comedians are women, you know, like uh, Maria Banford, obviously, is a good example. I love There's another Fortune one that I was... Feimster. She's like me if I was a lesbian. Yeah, good example mm-hmm. there, too. Yeah. There's definitely a ton. I, I don't watch so much stand-up comedy as I did when I was mm-hmm. a kid and had HBO on uh, Comedy Central on cable television, mm-hmm. but... So I'm not the best one to do the listing. But but it's, it's also very recently that it was not an exclusively uh, black or white endeavor. Like, there are now way more Asian comedians, way more uh, Central Asian comedians and uh, uh, African comedians. Like, there's so much more diversity today because we're realizing that everybody's funny. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that's a big part of it. I'm sure, like, on the, like, micro level, mm-hmm. it's probably a lot of it is just, like, comedy club owners, organizers, etc. are not as uh, sexist as they once were, mm-hmm. right? So probably there's a time where these people just couldn't get their start. You know, obviously, you go way back, it was just that 
they were literally not allowed to be in there. They could be arrested for public indecency and, and so on. <laughs> right, as we've know, seen on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Sure, yeah. Um, so beyond that, like uh, swear words, curse words, whatever you want to call them, these are generally associated with men, and women are expected to use more minced oaths, if anything at all. Oh, darn. Right, so, um, I have stubbed my toe. Yeah, and women are expected to be gentle and docile. So I I think, obviously, a lot of this probably comes from just cultural pressures and Mm -hmm. expectations. Uh, I I did see one interesting point about it, which was not just uh, strictly uh, sexist, which was that there's some there's some feeling that women tend to try to maintain and like uh essentially manage the com the communication uh let's mm-hmm. say line between the two speakers or multiple speakers whatever more than men so it's like women tend to be more mindful of is the other person understanding what are they thinking having this kind of a uh, theory of mind when in a conversation mm-hmm. and you see this in other ways too where women will uh use a lot more language to show that they are listening to you women will use a lot more language to check what you think whatever mm-hmm. again real question is this just a power structure thing or is it really like some kind of biological brain difference but i don't think it's biological the- i do think it is down to socialization because women are socialized to I be agree. much more social creatures much more communal um men are socialized to be very solitary um I, I generally agree sure yeah. um, but so the um the idea when it comes to like swear words mm-hmm. is that these are put more risk on a conversation mm-hmm. right so if you swear there's a chance that the other person will get offended or uh just get generally just put off by the swear word right and so women as the ones more considerate of the communication will avoid them for that reason Right. Makes sense. I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but I thought it was an interesting uh, hypothesis, at least. I mean, I think for sure, I definitely to me, it find seems it like... very weird when I hear a man say gosh, or darn it, or something like that. It sounds less natural. <laughs> yeah, I say that stuff all the mm-hmm. time, because I, I fairly rarely cuss. I don't know why, I just don't really do it much no i mean and that's fine you uh, i don't think that cussing is good or bad but uh you definitely it is a noticeable feature of language that um uh, like minced oaths are generally not a very masculine um feature of language yeah and and i think um basically what we're seeing i think is like you can you can find in the past in like private conversations mm-hmm. between women, let's say, you know, a lot more use of like a uh, language that they wouldn't use in public or polite mm-hmm. conversation, you know. And essentially, we you had a time where women just were more subjugated to private life, you know, mm-hmm. they weren't in public much. And today, I, I think women cuss more. I don't know if you would say necessarily that we've stopped associating associating it with men but Mm -hmm. i I think for sure things are becoming more balanced Mm -hmm. in that way you know i mean i think like me on the other hand i have a fairly public (laughs) life i mean i'm like working in a job where i'm talking to people you know 
And so I tend not to cuss much just because it's it would be a little bit awkward for me to have the habit of doing it yeah. you know, in my in my lifestyle and my work. Mm-hmm. So I think this is probably why, you know. That makes sense. Um women are more likely to use diminutive forms, so like putting the e on the end of things for instance, like not saying dear, saying deary, mm-hmm. sweetie. Of course nowadays I don't think anyone says deary, but um these kinds of things. Yeah, I haven't yeah. heard anybody say "deary" since 1897. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, now, jumping into the statistics, I'm going to try to cover a few other interesting things real quick. Uh, one thing that I thought was like probably the fact of the podcast, because it was just so weird, is that they found that women tend to say um, and men tend to say uh. Right. So as the filler word, women might say, um, I don't know, or something like that. Men might say, uh, I don't know. I wonder what that's down to. No idea. There's no, there's no clear reason why. I mean, I suspect just like anything, like women tended to say it and it just kind of randomly, you know, snowballed. And then same thing with the the man one. I have a theory and you can tell me if I'm full of shit. Um, I think that the M the, uh, on the end of the um is an easier transition into the next thing that you're going to say. It's like verbal cursive, just le- leading into the next thing. Whereas uh, men are permitted to have that bit of silence. Women are expected mm. to fill that silence with beauty. Yeah, and perhaps it's more like floor holding, you know, mm-hmm. so like you get the chance to speak. As a man, you're not too, you're not quite as worried about someone then taking it back away from you, <laughs> taking the floor. You know, as a woman, you have to kind of flow through the speaking to make it clear that you're going to keep talking. We, mm-hmm. I, when I was, uh, I researched Valley Girl speech as mm-hmm. well, and uh, this was one thing about that that they were saying is like this kind of up talking that they might do, you know, in order mm-hmm. to uh, perhaps make you uh, understand that they are making a statement but um this one part of it is that it seems to be a strategy for implying that you're about to say something else right you're not finished it's your quarter on the end of the pool table yeah Mm -hmm. yeah sure so that's it's very possible i i think um is such a small little word that i wonder can we read anything into it all but i think it's a cool idea um in the studies of like phone calls and social media posts, uh, laughter is associated with women. So women are much more likely to laugh than men. Um, words associated with family are generally mm-hmm. associated with women. The only exception is, of course, bro and all of its other <laughs> uh, permutations. You know, men are more likely to say bro. Uh, what else here? Uh, so. Women would more generally use, again, these kinds of, like, um, describing words for positive emotions, amazing, thankful, uh, things like that. Um, So there's an idea that men are supposedly more assertive in their language use than women. They didn't really find that. They found that actually women are a bit more assertive linguistically than men. Um, That's very interesting. And generally... Generally, I'll say that women just generally tended to have more positive language than men. Mm. Um, 
also, of course, it, talking just about text, you know, uh, exclamation marks are are uh, a sign that the person speaking on social media, posting whatever, is probably a woman. So women much more likely use exclamation marks in than multiples men. or just period. Uh, period. Multiple. Exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So more. Uh, it's like if you have one, maybe it's a <laughs> dude. But if you've got more than one, you can probably assume it's it's a chick. Okay. Uh, lengthening of words, as we've already talked about. So saying hi with multiple eyes or no, hi. multiple eyes, etc. And of course, emoticons. You oh. know. So uh, and again, it's like men may use one or two. Women may will probably use multiples, probably use way more. Winky right? face tongue out. Um, weirdly, pronouns are more likely by some margin Ooh. to be used by women. And it just seems to be that women are just more likely to be talking about people, relationships, you know, uh, human stuff. Uh, whereas men are more likely to be talking about some kind of a thing, right? And so uh, it sounds weird because, of course, we have pronouns for things as well. Mm -hmm. But when you're making a post or something, you're very likely to just name the object by name. And there's not a lot more you need to say about it, you know. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> pretty odd, yeah. Um, but see, and then finally here... I'm trying to look to see if there's anything other things. So men do tend to use a bit longer words. So words with six or more letters uh, in total percentage of things mm -hmm. that they say. Women, maybe 10% of their words are six or more letters long. Well, men, if you're, men about 12%. If you're accounting for like the lengthening and turning high into high, I think that skews <laughs> the <point>. numbers a bit. <laughs> yeah, kind of uh, pad those numbers a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and now on the other hand, like if women are using more pronouns, it's like more of their uh, language is going to be just skewed towards us a little bit shorter. That's very true. Um, swear words, they did find that men, 0.9% of their uh, utterances were swear words, 0.2% for women. So this does bear out in wow. the statistics and the data. Uh, anger words, men are a lot more angry, 1.1%. Of their language, 0.4% of women's language. Oh, wow. Uh, filler words also did bear out. So 2.1% for women, 1.3% for men. Mm -hmm. And then positive and negative words. Positive emotions, women 3.5%, men 2.8%. Negative emotions, uh, women 1.1%, men 1.9%. Oh, so that one's pretty For even. some reason, women are... At least communicatively speaking, they seem to be happier. And again, I think that's power structures, mm -hmm. right? So when you're the the person who's you know uh, disenfranchised in society, nobody cares. You know what what bad things you're, you're feeling and experiencing. You know, so you tend to be more ingratiating in that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, finally, I'll just say I'll. I'll touch on a couple things really briefly here so slang uh throughout history has been considered to be unladylike to use slang that's you know? surprising uh, to me yeah yeah mm -hmm. it, it is right and there was actually a time where it was thought that all slang is created by men mm -hmm. uh there's uh lexicographer stuart flexner in 1960 was even saying that and again it's it's wild to think how recent a lot of these ideas were and their idea was that like slang words tend to be created in reference to sex and work and 
alcohol, politics, sports, stuff like that. Can I pause so, it like, a quick? Generally, yeah. Can I pause it a quick um, theory on this? Uh, yeah. The researchers that did this were largely and almost exclusively male, right? Yeah. I think that there's a difference in the way that women talk to women and women talk to men. I don't think yeah, that true, uh, women would have at the time or even today done nearly as many a slang uh, in the company of men or in mixed company as they would in exclusively female company. Yeah, I think that's generally the case. Mm -hmm. And uh, essentially, they had a blind spot to a lot of the situations where woman, women would make up slang, which, is, of course, one big one, you know, when you talk about slang is generally like stuff that criminals use mm -hmm. as a kind of argot, argo to, you know, uh, hide what they're saying, so on. Well, mm -hmm. of course, you have prostitution, which has been historically a predominantly woman-based uh, mm -hmm. profession. And, of course, there, there there's tons of slang. Yeah. Know? And they're making the slang. Uh, same with, like, kind of things like mother's groups, right? So you can find mm -hmm. today, if you go on, like, uh, mommy blogs or Facebook groups, whatever, you know, they have tons of slang for all kinds of different things that they need to talk about, about their, their kids, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, yeah. You know? It just seems so weird that it's considered unladylike when all the conversations they have with women are laden with slang. Yeah, and... I think that, you know, we have, we feel this a lot today too, where it's like, uh, whenever someone speaks differently from you, uh, generally in this kind of slang way or way in which it seems like they're speaking incorrectly, which mm -hmm. a lot of slang is, overlaps with just incorrect quote unquote language use. Like, there is this visceral feeling of offendedness or like, uh, uh annoyance mm -hmm. you know, that comes for people. I think we all feel it occasionally. Like everyone has a thing where they hear it and it kind of grates on them, you know. <laughs> and I think say again, thank there's you like much, a it pisses me off so much, right? And, and again, it's like okay, so but who's saying that? And it's like if the person saying it is like I don't know below you in some way, mm -hmm. you know, it's like uh, then you've got this area where it's it's becoming associated with some kind of a uh, prejudice or, or something like that, you know? Right. Uh, anyway, so we've been talking for quite a while. Uh, there's a few things that I think we'll leave for the man episode to kind of like be the, I don't know, the, the, the contrary, right? To, yeah. To contrast. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we have lots more to say about women too, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, as God intended, we'll we'll focus on the man, and that'll just be kind of the supporting information for manly language. There. Oh, behind every episode about masculine language is a ton of research about feminine language. But on this podcast, <laughs> we don't just talk about uh about modern language and Barbie Girl. We also talk about my favorite musical competition in the world, Eurovision. That is a thing that we do. It is. And we'll do it today, right after a short break. <laughs> Podmoth. Located on the edges of your radio static, you've stumbled upon 
the lost signal your podcast destination for tales of horror and the macabre brought to life with voice acting and sound effects new episodes are released every two weeks on monday on spotify itunes or wherever else you get your podcasts join us won't you segment folks the best segment the best the, segment the this one that people definitely <laughs> don't skip it. The, yeah the <laughs> one we make you earn by listening through a whole podcast first <laughs> only the elite few are listening now if you're if you're hearing these words we're probably already dead <laughs> it's been so long it's, i don't what does that even mean i don't know so Eurovision, Eurovision. Uh, of course, still looking at the 2023 Eurovision year competition. Absolutely. Uh, and who are we? Who do we got today, Hannah? So today we are going to dis- uh, discuss Chechia's uh, 2023 entry, uh, "My Sister's Crown" by Vesna. Great. Yes. Uh, did you like it? Uh, uh it definitely. It's not something that I would like generally listen to i loved aspects of it i loved that it was in multiple languages uh it was in bulgarian english czech and ukrainian uh yeah yeah the reason they did that is because um the members of the vesna group uh are really diverse one of them is bulgarian one of them is english they're also czech uh and they also wanted to pay homage to Ukraine being the uh, the winners of last year. Of course, this means that it was banned in Russia and in Belarus. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, put in that context, you can kind of read into like this idea of you won't take my sister's crown as like you won't take Ukraine's sovereignty or something mm-hmm. like that i don't know if they intended it but that's a cool read for sure and i can't wait to uh, get into the story that i brought to you from chechia but first of all uh, this song got 10th place in the competition that's not uh, bad. 129 points russell what did you think of it yeah i had a feeling you wouldn't like it so much because i i kind of liked it i, I think mm-hmm. in a lot of ways we have kind of opposing <laughs> tastes uh <laughs> I I wouldn't say it's my favorite song but of the year but I liked this feeling of um kind of like a I I don't know this feeling of like a alarm that you feel in the song like mm-hmm. the, it's not like a sweet happy positive song there there's some kind of distress happening there mm-hmm. that I enjoy this kind of con- conflictional It definitely <laughs> has an underlying anxiety yeah, and again, it's, yeah, and I think those kinds of things where it's like, there's some tension. I, I think that's what I often like in music. Mm-hmm. For the same reason, if you're reading a book or something, there there should be tension. So you mm-hmm. keep reading and and you um, are hooked, mm-hmm. you know. I, I think it's very interesting that music doesn't necessarily always need tension in that same way. Yeah. You know? Uh, but when it does have it, I, I tend to enjoy it. Not to say that I always need tension in music either. Mm-hmm. I just like it. Um 
And then the other thing I'll say is it was just such a weird song. You know, it's like uh, mostly the video, of course, but mm -hmm. the song itself, too. It's like you feel these um, feelings of, okay, there's a lot of interesting different sounds. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of, again, kind of a musical tension there as well in their, their mm -hmm. choices. And I tend to like that stuff. Uh, it, it felt similar to like... When we were talking about Albania, their first performance mm -hmm. of their song, where it, she seemed weirdly uh, angry for no reason, you know, right. and then later the the official version of the song came out and it just wasn't there at all. Mm -hmm. You know, this one has it. This one has it. And then the music video, of course, is great. Oh, I, yeah. I thought, uh, I don't know what the heck's going in the, on that music video, but uh, it's all this crazy costume and makeup and looks like you're watching some kind of a performance art piece and in a good way mm -hmm. uh so yeah I, I i was surprised that i didn't really remember this song much from when we were kind of watching through yeah. all the videos but i think i just saw a part of it before and probably wasn't the best mm -hmm. part I'll, I'll also say finally i think their live performance was good you know yes. I, I think they they were good singers. They had a pretty minimal performance. Uh, funnily enough, they were all wearing pink. I mm -hmm. don't know if they're going to see an early showing of Barbie <laughs> after the Eurovision. Who knows? <laughs> I do like but. that this uh, this is part of this more punk trend that was uh, that was very visible at Eurovision this year. A lot of punk, and this was a very feminine punk that I kind of really appreciate. Uh. And as to the music video, uh, we I, I did a little bit of research on Chechia. And for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about and aren't really familiar with the term, that's not unusual. Um, Chechia, very recently, I think in 2009 thereabouts, made it clear that uh, rather than the Czech Republic, which is kind of cumbersome, they would prefer to be known by the Czech name, which is Chechia. Uh, it's actually one of the only countries that you can find in the style guide of 2022. It's supposed to be referred to by English speakers uh, as Chechia. Uh, but uh, more commonly known in English as the Czech Republic. Like, that's all in the style guide. Um, cool. Which is interesting, I think. Uh, the yeah. music video, I saw it when it first came out, and it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And then I found the story of Labusa, uh, who, is who is the legendary... Uh, founder of Prague and, by extension, the Czech Republic. Uh, or Czechia, rather. Bohemia, the first queen of Bohemia. Um, and it was a story that I thought that I had never heard before, but I've heard a million times before. Uh, and just uh, go ahead and keep some of these aspects from the uh, the music video in mind, as well as some of the movies that you may have seen recently, and you'll recognize how okay. familiar this is. So, for context, this would have taken place, this uh, particular family that I just cannot pronounce, uh, the... Hang on. Uh, the Primislaw 
Permishlov dynasty. Yes. <laughs> I think we could safely say that's not it. That's <laughs> it is anything but it. Uh, so this was the founding of the dynasty that lasted from about 1848 to uh, when uh, Wenceslas III was murdered so in about 1250. So, a good-sized dynasty. Uh, Libusa is the daughter, the third daughter, of uh, Detective Crocus and a sexy oak lady. Um, <laughs> uh, what? A sexy oak lady. Oaf? Oaf? O-A-K. Ah, yeah. I, don't, you know how, I thought you said oaf, like O-A-F? Well, no. But sexy oak, so yeah. she is a tree lady? She's a sexy tree lady, yeah. Wow. Um, huh. So far, this story is not ringing any bells, I have to say. So you're saying a detective, mm-hmm. like a Sherlock Holmes type, no, he wasn't. married a tree lady, like a tree beard type. He didn't start off as a detective. He started off as a squire. Uh, and the sexy tree lady uh, had a vision that, because all sexy tree ladies, of course, have the power of prophecy, that her mm. oak was going to die. And when uh, oaks die, sexy tree ladies die. So she enticed this squire that always took naps under her tree. Hey, please protect me and I'll give you a gift. Uh, she So her, so she lived in a tree? So. It's so complicated. Um. I love mythology. This is something that kind of like you'll see in a lot of mythology lot. is, yeah, uh, dryads or, um, you know, uh, sexy. So she was a spirit sort of thing that kind of was the tree, but also had a separate form of some nature, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like in D&D, yeah, she's yeah. a dryad who is attached to this tree. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I guess I got it. Yeah. yeah tree is almost like her horcrux right it's like yeah sort of she's the guardian of the tree that the lich has yeah yeah uh rapper anyway sexy tree lady (laughs) says if you protect my tree uh and she gives him three wands and uh she says this first wand uh will give you honor and fame the second wand will give you money and the wisdom to spend it wisely and the third one will give you true love and you can choose one of them or i can give you one of them so do you want to guess what he chose i guess he Went for the, like, power one, I don't know. Actually, he went for none of them. He said, I'm not interested in power. I don't need money. All I need is to live under a tree. And true love can be moved by passion, so I don't really have any interest in that. And this is uh, the... I think... I think all things being equal, I would at least take one of them. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) either you have... At that point, let's even if you have everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's great to get something. So here is you know, where kind of rude to refuse a gift. Yeah, here's the thing. This is where Crocus uh, differs from like Paris from the uh, the Trojan War Paris because when Paris yeah. was given that choice, Paris chose true love uh, and then started yeah. a major war that ended up killing like all of Troy. Um, Good point. So maybe not the the right move after all. Right. So Crocus said, I choose none of them. And according to Chechen lore, the elf said, that means you deserve all three. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) He's like, but no, I didn't want them. (laughs) (laughs) 
Right, basically. So uh, he ends up becoming a famous detective. Uh, he marries the sexy <laughs> tree lady, uh, has three kids, uh, three daughters, uh, and uh, the daughters are named Bella, Thurba, and Labusa. All of them have... Do you, yeah. Do you really get famous as... I mean, you get fam- well, even famous. Like, are there really... Is there a single instance of a real-life famous detective i wonder not real life i don't think but uh, sherlock holmes is very famous uh and there's lots of fictional ones lots and lots i think it's something and uh i should clarify for anybody who's confused uh this is not true this is a legend (laughs) (laughs) there's no sexy tree lady in bohemia we killed them all i just love that Mm because it's like you really you associate detectives with a certain time. Yeah. You know, it's all like Victorian and later or something. I just yeah. love that there's now, like this old mythological story. He doesn't become a knight. He doesn't become a wizard or even like a shoemaker or something. He becomes a detective. He becomes a Sherlock Holmes. He literally guy. solves murders and finds people's Incredible. axes that they lost in the forest. He's just a detective. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else to say. He's, he's Detective Crocus. Um, Perfect. So the three girls all got their uh, mom's gift for prophecy, um, and their dad, Detective Crocus, also had you know some deductive reasoning, but it was also pretty good at at prophecy. But you know, it's a legend. That's cheating, man. Pretty he, much. He's prophetic too. He's prophetic too. So Bella, I, I, it's kind of like these. Uh... These detective shows these days where they can, like, see ghosts or something mm-hmm. as well, in addition to being a detective, you know? Yeah. It's so not fair. It's like medium. Like, you're cheating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why it's illegal. You're cheating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> true. Ghosts are officially illegal. That's true. <laughs> so after their mom, the sexy oak lady, dies, um, Bella uh, decides to focus her gifts on plants. Which you would think is great because medicines, but it's not great because also poisons. And she also uses uh, like perfume to control evil spirits and do like mischief around Bohemia. Um, it's described as mischief. It's probably terrorism. Um, mm. So scary. She has smell minions. That's very scary. <laughs> Uh, Thurba is uh, what we would sort of see as a weather witch. She can control the weather, cause thunderstorms. When she's in a good mood, she's a lot like um, uh, like that ant from uh, Encanto. She can make it rain in one place and make it sunny in another place and make everybody happy. But more often, uh, she's described as having the stereotypical worst woman traits. So she's very capricious. She's um, moody. She wants to be compensated for her work. Um, (laughs) 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 So she is also a bad person. Uh, Okay, so you got like a poison ivy from... Batman type mm-hmm. and a storm from the X-Men type so far. Yeah, okay. so far. And in the terms I can understand. Yeah. Uh, now, the youngest is Labusa. Now, when you have three, the youngest is usually the best, the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is beautiful. She is humble and she is beautiful and she is the obvious favorite because uh, she, she's the most ladylike. 
so she basically falls in. Uh, there's a plowman who isn't named until the end of the story because he's also very famous. And once they learn his name, uh, everybody's going to be like, oh, spoiler. Uh, but this plowman decides. Santa Claus. <laughs> his name is Primislaus. So pretty close. so Primislaus uh, goes to the first sister to ask for a favor and the first sister says "Uh, are you going to pay me and and he says well no and she says fuck off so he goes to the second sister and says she says are you going to pay me and he says no and she said well then give me all of the leaves from all of the trees all around me and all of the uh, grains of sand too because if you're going to waste my time I'm going to waste your time um, so, does he do it? yeah fuck her uh, so then he goes so he does, but he gives her the stuff? no he does not he says well fuck oh. you I'm, I'm going to go talk to your dad who is out of town in Poland at the time uh, but uh, who is at home is his youngest daughter, Labusa. And that is an instant fall in love, uh, like love at first sight, so much so that after he leaves, uh, he says, well, I'm obviously not good enough for her, so I'm just going to never fall in love with anybody because she's perfect. I'm never going to do better than her. And because I can't do her, I'm not going to do anyone. Like, really, really chaste sort of European folklore. And she says, well, I didn't even get his name. And I fell in love with him. And, uh, oh, gosh, maybe someday, but not now. <clears throat> so why is Libisa the best? Libis is the best because uh, she has virtue. She has modesty. She is not pushy. She is prudent. She is always right. She is chaste. She's a good housewife. And 90% of the people who meet her say she's the best quality about her is she's beautiful. Mm. So Libisa is the paragon of femininity. Basically, when the king of, of Bohemia dies, he does not leave an heir and it plunges the world in chaos. So everybody said, well, Chaos sucks. Why don't we have an election, but also combine that election with autocracy? Can we please elect our next king? And the obvious choice was (laughs) Detective Crocus. Okay, Mm -hmm. sure, of course. (laughs) Who else would you want to, (laughs) you know, like, detect all the crimes and... Detectives make surprisingly wise rulers, yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's I don't I just don't see the skill set really transferring. Mm. There's not a lot of overlap there, but I could be totally wrong. I don't I know. I mean the story of King Solomon. He was basically like, never, a, a biblical detective. I don't know if he is a detective so much. I, I think judge is way different. Mm. I I mean I can see the Columbo esque nature of his dialogue, sure. But I, I don't know. I, I've never once seen a president using a magifying glass. <laughs> anything you know. <laughs> they don't even know what fingerprints nope. are yeah it never comes into play mm-hmm. so when uh crocus rules for a long good long time and when he dies uh everybody's like well we don't want to we don't want to do a whole chaos thing again let's just have his heir do it 
He had three daughters. We're not going to be sexist about that. Three daughters means one of them is the heir. Who are we going to choose? Is it going to be the scary lady that has perfume minions? And no, we don't like her. She's scary. Is it going to be the weather witch? No, she's mean. Um, oh, how about Libisa? She's really, really pretty. Um, mm. So long story short, she gets uh, elected uh, because her the nice guy next door, Vladimir, said... I love her so much and she wants this. So I will make, I will take it upon myself to uh, go up against the scary ladies and put Libisa forth as the queen. Uh, so she is elected queen and he says, well, aren't you going to marry me? She said, <laughs> no, why would I marry you? And he said, That's hilarious. yeah. So he turns into kind of an incel, him and this other guy named Mazila. Uh, and this sort of, like, it, 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 it. But didn't she like him before? I thought they liked each other. So Vladimir, no. Uh, the plowman. Oh, the other guy. Yeah, Vladimir okay. is the plowman's a, a noble. Okay, got it. Yeah, Vladimir is one of those bohemian nobles. He's super rich, super beautiful. Everybody loves him. And she says, "Nah, dude," because I met a dude with dirty fingernails uh, like seven years ago. So you're nothing. Yeah, you women, you're always into the dirty fingernail guys. I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Well-known stereotype. Women like guys with dirty fingernails. Right. So uh, she uh, tries to rule for a good long while, but Incel Vladimir and Incel Mazizla, uh decide that we're sick of being told what to do by girls. We want to be told what to do by dudes. <laughs> um, sure. so they go up to her which and, really says a lot about them their right. sexuality more than anything right but you know it's like there's this like i saw this meme once where they're like uh liberals don't like trump because they don't want to have a daddy you know like the sense that he's like this like strong masculine daddy i was like but you're saying that you do is this the argument here <laughs> you know <laughs> you're like, I'm, you're right. I don't want my uh, president to be a like a dom. Yeah, <laughs> ew, <laughs> you know. Ew. What What are you saying about yourself, there, man? <laughs> you really want to be dominated by a big, strong man? I guess this is such. This it's insane how like contemporary this particular myth is. I know. I, I wild. And it's seriously like the incels decide that they uh, want a dude to rule them, so they say. Give us a guy. Give us a dude. And she says, how? Like Jordan Peterson type. Yeah. Right. She That's says, what, looking for. what do you want a dude for? I'm doing a great job. And they said, no, we want a dude to tell us what to do. And you have to marry him. And she says, <laughs> why? Because <laughs> we want it. And we'll kick you out if you don't. Uh, and it just so happens that there's two very marriageable incels right here that uh, are already mad that you rejected them. Why don't you kill two birds with one stone? Marry one of these fuckers. That makes makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. to me. Oh, yeah. It's literally, I don't know if you've seen The Princess Bride 2, but it's literally The Princess Bride 2. They made a Princess Bride (laughs) 2? You're messing with me. (laughs) So this crafty, crafty Labusa uh, invents a prophecy about uh, uh, a guy who is eating on an iron table um, 
He's eating lunch at an iron table. He's going to be the guy I marry. And she says this because uh, her dude is a plowman. He's going to be eating his lunch on a plow uh, in the middle of his work day. So she just invents this thing to make them choose a, uh, uh, a not noble guy. She invents this prophecy. I'm realizing to- now... This whole time I've been picturing like a modern day snowplow machine. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Plow, <laughs> Which, that's my Ironically, name. I think, yes, ironically, I think makes way more sense than the thing it actually was. Because I think a plow was just kind of like a triangle with some like teeth on one end. Yeah. You know, to pull. Which I don't know how you eat on that, but that's fine. It's, it's got it's, a little. It's a small hang It's from the 800s. So it's probably a little bit different than the plows that we. See from the 1800s, you know? More table like, I suppose. I assume Maybe they're just literally dragging a table around the field. I don't know. Right. Yeah. And she also, uh, the first time she met him, gave him two perfectly white steers that, um, as he accepted that he was going to be the king of Bohemia, just disappeared Thanos style. He did, or the spheres? The the steers, the uh, the ox, oh, the okay. the bulls. Oh, steers! Okay, I thought yeah. you said spheres. Okay, yeah, cool. And uh, the last bit of prophecy on this one is uh, he put a staff that she had given him on their first meeting seven years before into the ground, uh, and it immediately grew three branches the first two withered and died and the second one flowered and uh flourished uh prophesying that this dynasty would have three kids but the first two would die pretty quickly uh and the third one would be the one that would bring bohemia to greater heights now that sucks and is this still just the prophecy she's making up nope that's the prophecy that he uh, because she gave him a magical staff when she first met him. He is the one that okay. reads that prophecy. And in reading that prophecy kind of validates to all of these misogynists that, hey, he is cool. He does have the gift of prophecy. He must be our new king. It was her gift to him. <laughs> it sucks, but... <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, she goes... like. The, She's a legendary figure. This entire family is our legendary figures. And I appreciate that um, her more famous riddles are just math problems. Because this comes from an era where math was magic. Mm, I don't know. I, now I don't like it so much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do math homework in my religion. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I was watching the music video after I had read this story, a lot of this is uh, kind of making sense. Like, uh, don't take my sister's crown. A lot of people have been reclaiming um, misogynistic myths lately. Uh, like, the story of Persephone famously and Laura Olympus is a much more feminist take. Mm. So my theory is that... Um, these three sisters, the first two, are played on as being evil because they're jealous of their younger, more beautiful sister. I've heard that story so many times, and I have to tell you, as a woman, 
I'm not jealous of women. I really do think that this is not something that women universally experience. Like, I think that it's just a misogynistic media landscape that reinforces that. So the phrase, don't take my sister's crown, is much more supportive uh, if it's coming from the uh, if it's coming from Bella and Thurba. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's again talking about like power structure stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it is kind of a strategy. Like, whenever you're you're there's a people who are voiceless mm-hmm. for whatever reason, you know, it's like one strategy of like domination is like ascribing, mm-hmm. you know, um, feelings, ascribing motives to them. You know, it's like you see this a lot if you look back at like you know, racist uh, discourse in the past or in the present, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you, you're you um, talking about the Chinese, talking about the slaves, whatever. You know, you see a lot of things about the ways in which they're, like, conniving or ways in which they're, like, jealous or blah, 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 you know. I, I, I suspect it's very similar with these, like, wicked step- stepsister-type stories, too, mm-hmm. you know, where it's kind of like, why are they... Uh, why are they not in power? Well, they're kind of more base. They're kind of more um, less noble in that mm-hmm. sense, you know, where they're they're kind of like power grabbing and jealous and, and this kind of stuff, you know. So therefore, it's right that they're mm-hmm. they don't get to be queen, you know. Yeah, yeah, and all again, all of these things that make Libosa like the ideal candidate, her virtue, her chastity, because that definitely makes sense in a ruler. Um, yeah, and it's like ironically, they also make her just not. I mean, taking them at face value, mm-hmm. assuming she really is those things, she wouldn't really be a good leader if you're like submissive and. Uh, not really assertive in any way in these kinds of things. These mm-hmm. are the exact reasons why later they decide, oh, no, we actually need a, a man, you know? Yeah, and one of the things that they definitely point out, and I said isn't pushy, uh, the way that they phrase it is, she declines to offer her counsel. So Right, which is a great feature as a king. Right, exactly. <laughs> what did you... I'm sorry, do you not want somebody to lead you? Is that what... <laughs> <laughs> Although to be fair, that's that's a that's oftentimes a very good political strategy these days. You know, just to not mm-hmm. not actually say anything. You know, that's you know what that's <laughs> fair point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good for winning an election, not so good for being mm-hmm. in power. I think. And of course, all of the male dancers um, were carrying these lavender staves. Um, the this wooden staff is a motif that comes up very very frequently. She's uh, the sexy oak lady gives uh, Detective Crocus three ones to choose from. Um, Lubusa gives uh, Primus Loss a staff uh, as a gift the first time they meet. Like these wooden motifs are very common um, in the stories of Lubusa. So it's pretty interesting to see that sort of reflected in the Chechen uh, uh, entry this year. Music video. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like it. I like uh it's always nice whenever you get a Eurovision song that does for us mm-hmm. as, as American viewers what we want Eurovision songs to do, which is kinda like teach us a little bit about some other mm-hmm. culture or something. So good work, Chechia. A plus. <laughs> good work, 
Chechia, which is also known in English as the Czech, Re- Czech Republic. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And good work, us. We made another podcast. We did it. High five. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoy us, you know, consider leaving a rating, review, whatever. Mm-hmm. Tell your friends. Uh, you can find lots of other great podcasts on our podcast network, Podmoth, at podmoth.network. We also recently started doing TikTok. Oh, yeah, that's true. So you just search us, you know, yeah. search us on TikTok, getting down and wordy. Mm-hmm. And uh, those ones we kind of just do, obviously, much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, TikTok, they keep getting longer and longer with what you can post, but I don't think we can post two hour TikToks yet. So mm. uh, just little, little, fun facts you know about language we should leave a suggestion in the suggestion box (laughs) yeah good idea let's do it (laughs) all righty guys have a great week